0: Quick note before we start today's show, I wanted to remind you guys to check out the System is Down podcast hosted by Dan Smolt, a.k.a. Dan Smots. The podcast is all about talking about things that generally uh, make people a little bit uncomfortable, religion, politics, conspiracy. Bottom line is Dan will talk to absolutely anyone about absolutely anything. Nothing is off the table. Recently, Dan ran into a little bit of trouble with the Facebook police. He's had his accounts banned from Facebook, his personal account, his business page accounts, his podcast accounts, his wife's account. Everything has been uh, scrubbed from the Facebook world. So if you could, please support The System Is Down Podcast. Dan will be coming on Finding Freedom next week to talk more about uh, what has happened and how he has reacted to the Facebook banning. The System is Down podcast. Check it out.
1: We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman.
0: Welcome back to the second edition of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. If you missed last week's show, you might be wondering, why, John, are you talking on a Thursday and what happened to Felony Friday? Well... Tune in to last week's show, uh, episode uh, FF262. I believe it was titled, Welcome to Finding Freedom. And I talk about the reason I changed the scope of this podcast and what I'll be focusing on going forward. So go back, check that out if you missed it. Or if you don't want to, don't. I don't really care. Today's episode awesome incredible episode great guest going to be talking with a guy in the state of arizona who is suing the mayor of the city of flagstaff in the arizona supreme court incredible case we're going to be going through this case the argument for it um with a fine tooth comb it's very very well researched and in speaking with uh with Joseph McGee, this is my guest for today, who I'll introduce shortly. Um, he is very confident in uh, in the prospects here, so keep an eye on this one. Nobody else is talking about this in any media out there, so I was very excited to get to speak with Joseph McGee today. I, I do want to ease your minds. If you listen to uh, Joe's audio at first, you might think, "Oh man, this audio is a little bit rough." I did my best cleaning up, but it's only his first answer that has that audio. We corrected the issue after that first answer. The rest of the interview, which is an hour long or or more, um, is phenomenal audio and obviously great content. And let's get into it. My guest today on Finding Freedom is Joseph McGee. Joseph is an Arizona resident, and he has filed a lawsuit in Arizona the Supreme Court over mask mandates. He's suing uh, the governor and uh, as well as the mayor of the city of Flagstaff. We'll get all into the details there. It's a uh, it's a meaty lawsuit. Joseph, welcome to Felony Friday.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Just said the wrong show. I just changed the name my show. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Wow.
1: That works too. Thanks for having me.
0: But that's, that's a good thing to, uh, to kind of kick off. I did. I mean, one of the main reasons that I changed the format and the name of my show previously, I was almost entirely focused on the criminal justice system and sharing stories of particularly felons, people who had been through the system. But I wanted to zoom out a little bit in order to look at larger issues, and especially in today's crazy times with uh, lockdowns and mandates and everything that's going on, be able to talk to people about a wide variety of different things and that's why i was happy when your story was brought to my attention with uh you know someone that is actually taking action to uh do the best they can to not only get freedom back uh, which has been infringed upon um, by the government to get that back for themselves but also for the community so joseph I, i think a good place to start is let's just start general background with uh your thoughts on coronavirus. You know, it's been almost about a year. When this all broke, February, March last year, when we realized, you know, things were getting crazy, well, well, where were you at back then? What was your thought process back then?
2: Well, I had, um, I had actually been researching coronavirus since around January. You know, you know, we had known that it was in China, in um, December and January, uh, published studies started coming out of China, late January, early February. So that's that's where I went directly. Um, I'm not at all interested in someone's expert opinion. I'm not interested in what public authorities have to say um, per se. I'm interested in what does the science say, and when the science, you know, that word gets thrown around these days. Trust the science. Listen to the science, um, but the science is, is is not someone's opinion. It's not some expert on TV telling you what you should do, what you should believe. The science is peer-reviewed, published studies. It's you know, it's it's actual research that has taken place. Um, you know where the where the scientific method has been utilized. So when people say trust the science, listen to the science, you know, unless Unless something is a result of the application of the scientific method, it's not science. It's, it's speculation. It's one's opinion, or you know, it's anecdotal. So I, I started reading these studies, you know, very early on, and, um, you know, and I quickly came to realize that one, coronavirus was was a is a serious virus. You know, it's not it's not made up. It's not, you know, it's it's an actual virus, and it is dangerous. Um, But you know, very early on, what I found from the research was that this danger really only exists for you know certain groups of individuals. There's there's older adults, and especially older adults with specific That specific chronic health conditions, Um, diabetes, kidney disease, obesity, uh, COPD, you know, things of that nature. And so looking at the original research that came out of China, you know, this it it became very quickly apparent. um, It became apparent to me very quickly that this was not something that most people have believed you know, the, the worst fatality rates that were coming of China were about 3.4%, but those were overall fatality rates, so those were not, you know, age-adjusted, those were not for specific groups, so when you look at the research, age-adjusted and adjusted for, um, you know, specific chronic health conditions, we're looking really at uh, infection fatality rate of less than one percent, which is, is not a public health agency, you know, as applied to the vast majority of people. And, and study after study after study, you know, it, it, they, they can do the same thing. Stanford could out a study, you know, USC put a study, UCLA, you NLA, know, and Health Department. They all put out studies, and all these studies, you know, have basically confirmed that. The infection fatality rate overall is infected like less than half of the percent, except you know, when we start looking at these groups that are at risk, these other people with health conditions, in which case the infection fatality rate can jump up to 13, 15 percent if you're talking to people over 75 with kidney disease. But, you know, overall looking at the science, reading the studies, which again is, is that's the only thing that I to, is the actual published peer reviewed studies. It, you know, it's quickly apparent that this is the um you know, threat to humanity that it, that is that, that is just
0: yeah. So I mean, that's that's really where where I fall too. I mean, this coronavirus does kill people, or I should say, COVID nineteen does kill people. Not SARS, um, COVID two, which is which is the virus, but. I think it's been largely blown out of proportion. Um, there's a lot of false positives. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, sort of the temperature turned down on coronavirus once we get into this next administration. <laughs> when they all of a sudden figure out, wait a minute, we have all these false positives and they adjust their numbers. But anyway, that's probably a different discussion. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about, you know, and and I mean, just to get this on the record i think i'm correct you're you're not a lawyer right
1: no i'm not a, i'm not a lawyer i've never been to law school okay. i have no formal legal education
0: okay neither am i i host a criminal justice podcast but no uh, no uh, law education so you can do anything and uh I've, I've read your lawsuit i mean it's uh very very detailed um we'll <laughs> try to get to as much as we can but you know so not being a lawyer um, I don't know what else background you would have in the law when did you decide to pursue the path of filing this lawsuit and how did that come together for you
1: Well I um, I had actually um and and a point point of clarification uh, real quick so the lawsuit is not actually against the governor of Arizona he's just okay. named as a real party in interest because I am, I'm challenging his authority to uh, issue uh, an executive order allowing for uh, mask mandates. So he's not actually a, a, a defendant or a respondent as, a, as it would be in this petition. Um, it's just uh, Paul, Mayor Paul Deasy is the mayor of Flagstaff and the city of Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. So with, with that in mind, um, <clears throat> March of this year, I sued... Um, I sued the city of Flagstaff and the mayor at the time, as well as the Arizona governor um, over the restaurant closures and the uh, stay at home order. So that was a case that was filed in superior court. Um, I brought it under 42 USC, 1983, which is uh, civil rights. Um, the defendants removed the case to federal court. I filed a motion for a temporary injunction. Uh, we had a hearing on that May 8th and in front of uh, judge snow, who is the, who is the uh, chief judge of the um, Arizona federal court. So that hearing went, progressed, and uh, the injunction was denied. Um, and so the stay-at-home order was expiring in eight days. So I, I just um, went ahead and dismissed the lawsuit. But I, w- I was really trying to set precedent with that over the stay-at-home orders. I, I really saw... Sort of a dark cloud um, over freedom that was that was building um, with these stay-at-home orders and you know with with depriving people of the right to earn a living, closing businesses, forcing people to stay in their homes. Um, you know, none of that, in my opinion, is is constitutional. None of it is lawful. Um, the United States, you know, for example, I, w- I would argue that. You know, if 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 the founders, if the framers of the Constitution had intended for safety to be more important than freedom, then the fourth, fifth, and sixth amendments would not exist. You know, these are these are amendments that that you know are are directly contrary to what we would consider safety. Yeah. But they you t- are. You
0: tweeted that out a couple of days ago. I thought that was a great <laughs> a great take.
1: Thank you. Um, so you know, I, I dismissed that lawsuit. Stay at home order expired, um, and honestly, I had um, I had been expecting that the governor would lift the state of emergency, um, the city would rescind the mask orders. Um, you know, to have some sort of progress, and that that just hasn't happened. Um, so I actually began drafting this lawsuit on. January 1st, the morning of January 1st. Um, worked 14 to 16 hours at a time, then I would rest. Um, you know, did all the research, all the writing, and everything got filed on January 6th. But it's it's just it's very important for me to utilize the court system, you know, as as best as I can as a, as a self-represented non-lawyer to try and establish precedent you know, with regard to government powers during a state of emergency, during a public health emergency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is not something that is going to be won in a single case. You know, it's, it's going to be won through attrition. It's going to be small steps, small victories, getting precedent set, you know, and eventually being able to hold to account government officials and, and, you know, government agencies for essentially depriving us of, of our constitutionally protected rights in the name of protecting us. Mm
0: -hmm. So just to, uh, just to lay out the, the case here to start to, so correct me if I'm wrong, but state of Arizona, the governor has not put in a mandatory mask mandate. Rather it's that the individual, municipalities or towns or whatever whatever they are um they're able to do that on their own correct
1: correct and that well yes and no i mean the the governor the governor of arizona issued an executive order allowing um municipalities to impose their own mask requirements and so no there's no statewide mask mandate um and i believe that that is intentional because it's 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 not constitutional.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so now we have this piecemeal where some cities have it and some cities don't. But, I mean, if you look at the mask orders, the mandates from the various cities and towns and counties, you'll see that they're all subs, you know, substantially the same. You know, it's basically boilerplate as to these mask requirements and um, exemptions, uh, et cetera, and enforcement.
0: So that's, um, I guess that, that'd be the reason why the lawsuit is um, targeting the mayor of Flagstaff, re- Flagstaff rather than the, the governor,
1: correct? Correct, correct.
0: Okay, so just kind of take us through and lay out how you've built this case. Um, what, I guess starting with uh, with standing, um, <laughs> what? H- how do you <clears throat> go about showing that uh that you have standing for this case
1: well standing uh standing is established because um because then of the nature of the relief that i'm requesting basically i'm you know i'm requesting um declaratory and injunctive relief i'm requesting that the arizona supreme court um rule on the constitutionality and legality of not only the mask order's but the authority under which the mask orders are issued, not just the cities and counties, but the governor's authority to delegate um, the authority to issue mask orders to these cities and towns. So mm-hmm. I have I have standing um you know under the Arizona Uniform Declaratory Judgments Acts, Judgments Act, um, because I'm a person whose rights are affected by a statute or a municipal ordinance. So I mean that's Arizona Revised Statute section uh, 12-1832. So standing is implicit uh, in the nature of the claims that I'm raising. I'm a resident of the city of Flagstaff, so I'm standing to raise that claim against the mayor. But even if I wasn't a resident, I would still have mm-hmm. standing as long as I, you know, conducted business in Flagstaff. As long as I was somehow subject, reasonably subject to the mask mandate, I would I would still have standing. To bring this case. So I'm not suing for damages. I'm not suing for money. I'm just suing to stop this.
0: Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out Uh, My man, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode, Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards freeing Ross Ulbricht. So please check it
2: out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family bonds loosely play, but they barely pay you don't
1: care about work ethic or major
0: did you ever think about approaching i don't know a, a group or other individuals to join your case
1: um i found uh, when I found my original lawsuit against the governor back in March, I found a general unwillingness um, for people to become involved because they did not want to be seen as running contrary to public health and safety. Um, so I, I approached a lot of organizations and a lot of different people. And while they offered me sort of, you know, their, their quiet support in that, yeah, we hope you win, it w- it was a matter of, well, we're not going to get involved in this because this is this is bad publicity for us. Um, So I approached attorneys. I approached certain civil rights organizations and um, nobody was interested. And with the controversy over masks um, that's going on right now, um, I just figured it was it was completely pointless for me to seek any help uh, from any organizations or persons on this. Um, It's just I just I didn't see any way that anyone was was reasonably going to want to get involved.
0: Yeah, I mean it's uh it's a noble task going in on this alone. I give you give you much credit here.
1: Somebody's gotta do it.
0: <laughs> so what is the argument? Can can you break it down for us? I know it's it's very thorough, so you can take it you can take it piece by piece and we can talk about it. But uh
1: Sure, sure. I'll just um so basically the argument in the petition um, is set forth uh under under four sections. Um, section one argues um, so there, there is a religious exemption uh, to these mask to these mask mandates. That's uh, essentially verbatim statewide. So all of the uh, political subdivisions, what they're called under Arizona law, cities, counties, towns, um, they all have a religious religious exemption to the mask requirement. Mm-hmm. So the first argument that I've raised um, is that the and and all of the claims that I've raised are brought under the Arizona Constitution. I've not raised any. Uh, claims under the US Constitution and that was deliberate. Uh, I I, I'm, I don't want this going to federal court. this needs to stay in Arizona. Like, federal courts are loath to uh, rule on issues that essentially only pertain to states' rights, Tenth Amendment. So keeping this out of federal court is is really mandatory in this. So the first argument is that excuse me, the religious exemption, Provision of the mask requirement violates two separate uh, clauses of the Arizona Constitution. Violates equal privileges and immunities clause, and it violates uh, the local or special laws clause. And essentially, what that means is that um, the Arizona equal privileges and immunities clause is much more stringent than the Fourteenth Amendment. So it would be the Arizona. Uh, equivalent of the 14th Amendment, uh, but it. The courts have repeatedly recognized this fact. Um, so essentially, the, the religious exemption creates uh, two separate classes of individuals. Uh, one class of individuals is required to follow this law under penalty of potential arrest. Um, and imprisonment, fine, criminal record. You know, this, this is a severe injury that this represents, uh, you know, arrest and prosecution while another, um, you know, segment of individuals strictly by virtue of their religion does not have to follow this. Um, and, you know, one could raise an argument of, you know, well, people that are not able to do this religiously should not be subject to that mask requirement. And I, I don't argue that, 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 you know, that that's not the case. And I, I explicitly set forth, you know, pretextually to the argument that I do not in any manner assert that the face covering requirement is constitutional or that I assert that the religious exemption itself is unconstitutional. The issue is simply whether or not the religious exemption, as it's applied, violates the Arizona Constitution, and it does. So, basically, um, summarizing that argument, the Equal Privileges and Immunity Clause is subject to strict scrutiny, and that is the highest level of scrutiny when looking at the constitutionality of a law, and Arizona Supreme Court has held repeatedly that equal privileges and immunities is a fundamental right, triggering strict scrutiny. So to survive that strict scrutiny, the state has to show that the statute, or in this case, the the order, the mandate, is necessary to achieve the compelling state interest by the least restrictive means practically available. Mm -hmm. And that is not the case. Uh, Furthermore, if there is not a legitimate basis for the classification, in this case, those who have to wear the mask um, and those who do not because of their religion, if there's not a legitimate basis for this classification or the classification does not further the goal it was intended to achieve. And this is key. It is unconstitutional. So based upon that, the objective of the face covering requirement is, you know, supposedly to prevent the spread of COVID-19 mean that's the purpose of the face covering requirement so the religious exemption is irrelevant to the achievement of that objective and in fact appears to work in the opposite direction so because of this arbitrary classification between persons who are required to wear a mask and those who are not and that does not advance a legitimate interest of the state and in fact Actually, appears to run directly contrary to their, you know, their stated legitimate purpose. It's unconstitutional, and that's just that's just how it is. Um, for the same reason, um, as I just explained, the local mask mandates also violate Article Four, Part Two, Section Nineteen of the Arizona Constitution, which is the local or special laws clause. That's essentially the same, um, you know, the same argument for equal privileges and immunities but it has to do directly with municipalities and so essentially it it prevents municipalities from granting special or exclusive privileges to any individual or group Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what's happened here with the religious exemption it's it's a granting of special or exclusive privileges i.e you're not subject to arrest for not wearing a mask and so, for that reason, it violates both of those clauses of the Arizona Constitution, just as to the religious exemption.
0: And and you've cited other other cases, right? Other case law.
1: Yeah, I I, um, <laughs> I, I extensively um, I extensively cite to support these cases, mm. um, just on the religious uh, exemption. I cite I want to say at least ten. Uh, cases most of them are Arizona Supreme Court. Some of them are Court of Appeals, but almost all of them are Arizona Supreme Court. So, I mean, my arguments are very, very well supported. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's just there's no plausible justification for the religious exemption in the mask requirement and like i said i'm not opposed <laughs> i'm not opposed mm-hmm. to the religious exemption that's not something that i'm saying you know that is in fact unconstitutional or that the mask requirement is unconstitutional but the, but i'm not raising those arguments you know, yeah. the arguments i'm raising are, are the ones that i've set forth
0: yeah but it, it tears by 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 taking that down and taking that aspect on it tears away at uh it, it tears away at the mandate and exactly, it's gonna, it's gonna it's gonna bring more people to your side. I, I would exactly,
1: think,
0: which uh, that's definitely a part of it. Okay, the the part two of your argument, um, uh, the business enforcement provision of the proclamations' face covering requirement is unsupported by Arizona law and is unconstitutional.
1: Yes, um, and this one is admittedly this is a novel track that I'm taking with this. Um, but I mean, this is, this is COVID-19. So you know, almost all legal arguments are going to be taking a novel track because mm-hmm. we don't have exact specific case law on this. So you have to sort of, uh, you know, connect the dots and, and, you know, create your, your support based on other cases that are relevant. And so the business, the business enforcement provision face covering requirement. Um, requires, and I'll read this verbatim, uh, private businesses and venues shall enforce this proclamation by asking any person failing to comply with the emergency proclamation to leave the premises. Business owners are not liable for members of the public who are in violation of this proclamation and refuse to leave their establishment when asked. So that is the business enforcement provision. And essentially, it is um, basically... Not, not only delegating law enforcement, um, I don't want to say authority, but function to private individuals um, without any lawful basis. It, it not only mm-hmm. delegates it to them, but it, it coerces them because they themselves are in violation of the proclamation and are, you know, of the mask requirement portion of the proclamation if they refuse to enforce it. So they themselves can be subject to arrest or prosecution or imprisonment for, for not enforcing a mask covering provision. So basically, you know, what I've set forth, uh, this is page 15, um, mm-hmm. subsection a, basically I'm saying it unlawfully delegates authority to and coerces private parties to perform law enforcement functions. So, the basis of the power to arrest, excuse me, arrest or prosecute individuals for not wearing a mask comes from Arizona Revised Statute Sections, uh, section twenty six three seventeen, which holds that any person who violates any provision of this chapter or who knowingly fails or refuses to obey any lawful order or regulation issued as provided in this chapter shall be guilty of a class one misdemeanor, and so. When we apply what's called strict construction of the plain language, which is essentially it means that you have to take the language at face value unless it's ambiguous, and this is um, Arizona Supreme Court precedent uh, or Arizona Court of Appeals, State versus Slayton, um, which holds we look to the we look first to the plain language of the statute, then to its context and history. So what I've argued is that applying this strict construction holds that it is a crime for private businesses or venues to refuse or to eat or even to unknowingly fail to enforce this provision because the very first sentence says any person who violates any provision of this chapter it doesn't that portion does not say any person who knowingly violates so this is a general, what's called a general intent crime. There's no specific intent needed to violate the provision. So the second part, part says, or who knowingly fails or refuses to obey. So we have two different clauses of this statute: any person who violates, or any person who knowingly fails or refuses to obey an order. So this is not, you know, the, these are not mutually exclusive. Right. So when we, apply, when we apply when we apply strict construction, we see that it is a crime. For private businesses to refuse to enforce this provision, and so um, basically, what I've argued is that under uh, ARS twenty six three seventeen, Ar- Ar- Arizona Revised Statute, sorry, um, that is what sets sets forth who is allowed to enforce these emergency orders. Uh, title Title twenty six is relates to emergency functions and so uh, ars 26-317 says quote the law enforcing authorities of the state and political subdivisions shall enforce these orders rules and regulations issued pursuant to ars 26-317 which is the statute under which the mask order was um, issued so it says right here in the arizona law that it's the law enforcing authorities not private businesses so you know we have that right there, which ex- not explicitly but implicitly, um, says that private businesses do not have any authority to enforce this and you know, therefore, cannot be coerced into doing this. And that's what I argue. I said, you know, it, it, it's not ARS 26 317 does not explicitly prohibit persons other than the law enforcing authorities of the state from enforcing the law, it's implicit in light of numerous other Arizona statutes, which we'll get into. Uh, Title 41, Chapter 12, Article 8, creates the Arizona Peace Officer Standards and Training Board, um, grants them the power and authority to prescribe minimum qualifications for law enforcement. Um, private businesses and venues are not subject to AZ Post requirements. Um, a law enforcement officer in Arizona law is defined as an individual other than a probationary employee who is certified by the Arizona Peace Officers Standards and Training Board. So that's, that's ARS section 38 uh, 1101 Mm -hmm. private businesses are not law enforcement officers under Arizona law. It goes on and we look and see Arizona law says, except for agency heads duly elected as required by the constitution and persons given the authority of a peace officer pursuant to sections, whatever, no person may exercise the authority or perform the duties of a peace officer unless he is certified by AZ Post, which is the Peace Officer Standards and Training Board. And that's ARS Section 41, 1823. Again, a peace officer is any person vested by law with a duty to maintain public order and make arrests and includes constables. That's ARS Section 13, 105. So private businesses and venues are not peace officers. and. Well Arizona <laughs> right. I mean, why, why should they be? Um, and Arizona law does grant certain individuals, certain elected officials, the authority to issue orders to private parties to assist them in law enforcement duties, but this is explicitly delegated only to county sheriffs, and that's uh, ARS Section 11-441. No power under any Arizona statute or the Arizona Constitution grants mayors or political subdivisions any authority to command persons to perform law enforcement functions so essentially the mayor and the city have no authority to order private businesses and venues to enforce the base government requirement it it, it's non-existent it doesn't exist
0: so Are, are you aware of any uh of any private private businesses that have pushed back on this in your in Flagstaff, at least I guess on you know where the, in this jurisdiction,
1: um, I'm not aware of any. I mean, Flagstaff is kind of a, I, I guess you would call it kind of a hippie town, um, and so I have not heard of anything, and I would be very surprised if I did hear. <laughs> about hippies, anything
0: hippies used to be for uh for liberty right
1: what happened? yeah to <laughs> yeah but you know what if you scare people they yeah. will they'll they'll forget all about that pretty quick yeah that's, um, well that's what this is all about fear <laughs> so i mean i don't i don't wear a mask um you know I, I don't wear a mask and i'm not going to wear a mask um i have been approached by you know persons who work for businesses telling me that I need to wear a mask. And I say, I'm, I'm not going to wear a mask and you just go about my business. Um, so, you know, in Flagstaff, that's pretty much, that's par for the course. Um, but I would imagine in places like Phoenix, I would have a lot more difficulty in doing that. Um, yeah. Just because, I mean, it's just, it's a different, it's a different environment. And so I'm sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something.
0: No, no, no. Keep, keep
1: going. Okay, so I'm going to move on to um, subsection B, Um, and this is of the business enforcement provision. Mm -hmm. And this is really. I should should
0: add one thing. I'll probably put this at the beginning, but um, I will post a link to this so everyone can, if they want to follow along, also. So um, I'll post it on the show notes page. Perfect. To the the suit.
1: So uh, page 17. Looking at subsection B. This is learning the business enforcement, um, requirements. And this, uh, you know, I will, I will, I have no problem giving credit where credit is due. Um, there were a number of, um, state attorneys general who, uh, issued opinions on, um, mask requirements on the constitutionality and legality of mask requirements. I believe it was, uh, Indiana, um, Louisiana In Kansas, I believe it was their attorneys general who set forth the argument that I'm that I'm raising here, in that um, requiring businesses to enforce a face covering requirement subjects them to civil civil rights liability because they're acting as agents of the state. And so in subsection B, that's exactly what I set forth, section 1983. Uh, forty Title Forty Two United States Code um, provides a federal cause of action for private parties uh, whose constitutional rights are violated by government employees or other or any other persons acting in the color of state law. And I thought you wanted to
0: keep this out of keep federal law out of this.
1: Well, I'm not I'm not raising a claim under Forty Two USC nineteen eighty three. I'm only I'm only showing that the. Um, that the political subdivisions are subjecting these businesses to this liability. So I can I can cite to federal law and I can cite to how uh, this liability under federal law is being created without raising what's called a federal question in this petition. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, look, what you're doing subjects these businesses to federal civil rights liability okay, because it does. Sense. So it's been pretty well established uh, by the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, that section 1983 creates uh, civil liability not just for government employees, but for other private individuals or entities who are engaged in state actions. And that was Luger versus Edmondson Oil, uh, US Supreme Court in 1982, um, which held that uh, for private party uh, civil rights liability, the conduct allegedly causing the deprivation of a constitutional right by a state must be fairly attributable to the state. So as long as this private party's actions are fairly attributable to the state, they're liable under this, under this federal civil rights law. Um, And there's a couple of other cases that I cite that, um, but essentially uh, liability for uh, private parties under this federal civil rights law, section 1983 can be established under four different tests There's the close nexus test, symbiotic relationship test, joint action test, and the public function test. Well, these uh, business enforcement provisions meet two of these tests. So the private party state actor close nexus test and the private party state actor public function test. So the private party state actor close nexus test says that a private party can be fairly said to be a state actor where there is a sufficiently close nexus between the state and the challenged action of the private entity so that the action of the latter may fairly be treated as that of the state itself. So essentially it's saying, you know, when you're a private person and you are acting in a close nexus with government, um, it can be considered that you are acting on behalf of the government itself, thereby creating that liability so the proclamation orders private businesses and venues to enforce the face covering requirements and this is imposed under threat of misdemeanor prosecution so this is not asking these businesses to enforce this this mm-hmm. is demanding that the enforcement and they enforce it under threat of prosecution that meets the close nexus test of 42 usc 1983 that is that's per se liability for these businesses to enforce this because they are being coerced into doing so mm-hmm. makes sense and so uh, we, have the, we also have the private party state actor public function test, which holds that where the private party, in this case businesses, has been, quote, delegated a power traditionally exclusively reserved to the state, unquote, a private party can be fairly said to be a state actor. That's Terry V. Adams, U.S. Supreme Court, 1953. So the, pro- the proclamation, the mask covering requirement explicitly tests private bin- businesses and venues, with the responsibility to enforce the face covering requirement, the violation of which is a class one misdemeanor. So because criminal law enforcement is a power traditionally exclusively reserved to the state, private businesses and venues who enforce the face covering requirement are state actors under 1983 because it meets, because their actions meet the private party state actor public function test. So this is two separate tests that that, that are met by this business requirement to enforce the face covering proclamation. So essentially any business that's enforcing this proclamation in any manner subjects themselves to civil rights liability that they would not have if they were not enforcing it or were not required to enforce it.
0: Let's take a real quick, break here. I want to tell you guys about an awesome Libertarian podcast. I know you guys think that Lines of Liberty is the only Libertarian podcast out there, and we are great. I mean, it's awesome (laughs) what we do here at Lines of Liberty, but there's other good ones too. In fact, there's a great one called Good Morning Liberty. It's hosted by our friends, Nate and Charlie. They've taken on the onus of trying to change people's minds of how people view Libertarians. And they're doing this by leading with a message of compassion first. They're looking at the way in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. I know it's amazing, right? So much more effective than just typing loudly and screaming to yourself and commenting on Facebook statuses. But they're actually giving you tangible ways to talk to other human beings about how liberty is compassion. Amazing, right? So Nate and Charlie are two great guys, like I said. I think I said that at the beginning. They have a, uh, a background in healthcare. They actually own a healthcare IT company. So at times like this and times of crisis uh, that we have in this country right now, a great podcast to tap into to get their perspective. You can check it out five days per week. So if you need that uh, daily hit of liberty, please check out Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. Of course, you can find it on all the regular catching apps, or you can just go to lol.gmlpodcast.com. Good Morning Liberty. Check it out. Sort- not off topic, on topic, but a question about just how did you gain the researching ability to be able to put this together?
1: Is this just... <laughs> I will tell you, and it's kind of a funny story. So um, in 2016, my ex-wife filed for divorce, and uh, long story short, she was able to afford counsel, very, very highly qualified attorney, and I had none. I had no legal representation whatsoever. I had a um, one-year-old son. He was one at the time. Mm -hmm. my ex-wife was essentially um, seeking to completely remove him from my life. And it became a matter of either get really good at law or lose your son. So, (laughs) So from basically February of 2016 until... Well, I mean, continuing, but beginning in February of 2016, I just started reading everything I could on uh, family law, Arizona rules, of family law procedure, Arizona Supreme court rulings on family law, appellate court rulings on family law, just any, and anything and everything I can get my hands on, um, you know, to learn this as, as, as best as I could. Um, So long story short, you know, four years later, I'm I'm still doing this. This is ongoing. Um, and over the past four years, I have spent an average of about two to three hours every single day, just reading law. And And it's, I don't watch TV at night. I lay in bed on my phone and read, uh, rulings and court opinions and law review articles and whatever I can get my hands on. Um, you know, because this is, this is my child. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, learning what legal research entails and what a properly pleaded motion looks like, um, you know, how to form proper claims and arguments, um, how to raise issues properly. That was just practice. That was just getting in there and doing it, filing the motions, filing petitions, well, notices responses. Um, you know, it, it was a matter of here's the knowledge and now you get to try and apply it. So it's been a lot of trial and error over the last several years. But, um, you know, I've reached a point where, and this is going to sound arrogant, but I'm just, you know, it's just, it's a fact to me. I feel like I can successfully litigate against any attorney. Um, You know, in in any case that I would bring, because I would not bring a a frivolous case. Mm -hmm. So any essentially any lawsuit that I file, I feel absolutely confident that I could prevail against any attorney in the United States at this point. And like I said, it sounds arrogant, but you know, I put myself through fake lawyer law school over the last four years. I've had you know practice in state court, practice in federal court, and. I don't know. It's just something I picked up. It really wasn't that hard, to be honest. It well, just I, it just took time. I,
0: I totally can relate to it, not personally, but I can relate to it by previous guests that I've had on the show many who <laughs> similar to you but a little bit different. Not uh, you know, not fighting for their son or going through a divorce, but being in prison and yes. fighting to get their, you know, to get out of prison, to get uh yes. to get their uh sentence reduced. And just like they had no choice. So, right, exactly. And, uh, but the cool thing with, yeah, I mean, the similarity there is really cool because a lot of those individuals, once they did get out, they continue to advo- advocate for other people and give that right. same support. And same right. thing with you. Yeah. I mean, you're personally, you know, going through your divorce, fighting for your son. Now you're turning and using that knowledge to uh, help others. So, I think that's just a really cool, really cool thing seeing uh, seeing the, the uh, similarity there. <laughs>
1: Thank um, you. I like I like that comparison. You know, I, I like it a lot. It, it's it's very valid. Yeah, for, for and, sure. And you know, and I w- I would say that you know everybody thinks that, that law is so hard and that it's the exclusive domain of attorneys, and that's just not the case. I mean, this is you know, this isn't not to denigrate you know attorneys, but a JD is not a PhD in biochemistry. It's, it's not, you know, it's not having spent three years in a lab running experiments and, and trying to get published and stuff like that. It's just not, it's not the same. You know, science is a totally different beast. Anyone who has good reading comprehension and a pretty good memory and the ability to form good rational arguments can learn law. Anyone. It's just a matter of reading it.
0: It's the reason why we have so many damn lawyers.
1: Exactly. <laughs> if it was so hard, we would have, you know, we would not have. We would have way more PhDs in biochemistry than we have attorneys.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. So just to, to get back to this, um, I, I guess did you have one more on part two, one more section there?
1: No, no. Okay. I, I pretty well established that it there. So mo- moving on, these businesses on to, are state actors.
0: Do you want to move on to uh, to part three.
1: Oh, hours. no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did have one more of these businesses. And, uh, um, this is page 20. Right, right. Um, so essentially, um, in addition to the liability that the business enforcement provision creates for these businesses, it also uh, – the business enforcement provision violates two separate clauses of the Arizona Constitution, and that is Article 2, Section 13, Equal Privileges and Immunities – Article 4, Part 2, Section 19, Local or Special Laws. And the reason it violates these is because private parties who are subject to uh, Section 1983 liability are not entitled to a qualified immunity defense. So unlike a police officer who's enforcing a mask requirement, he is covered by a qualified immunity defense, you know, against civil rights claims. Businesses have no qualified immunity. defense. It's not available to private parties. It is only available to governments. So for that reason alone, the business enforcement provision violates equal privileges and immunities because it essentially creates two classes of people who enforce this law. Law enforcement officers Mm -hmm. who have qualified immunity and private persons who do not, so that violates the privileges and immunities clause, um, because it's granting privileges or immunities, qualified immunity, to certain persons for doing something while not doing the same thing to these businesses or these, you know, these employees. So that violates those those two separate clauses: equal privileges immunities, and immunities in local and special laws. Um, you know, because these businesses do not have any entitlement to qualified immunity, and I cite a bunch of cases through this.
0: And they're being coerced. the businesses are coerced to right. uh, remove these individuals from their stores or their, their premises. And if they were to hurt someone or if, if they push were to someone, wrong, if yeah. they
1: grab someone, if, mm-hmm. you know, strictly speaking, you have a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent if a business is asking you about a mask or saying, why don't you wear a mask? Because they're a state actor. You, you at that moment have the right to invoke your Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. So you can literally tell a business I'm evoking my fifth amendment right to remain silent. And that's it. You know, if they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they start questioning you or do anything, you have a fifth amendment claim under 42 USC against them, uh, 42 USC 1983. So it's, I mean, it's just honestly, this business enforcement provision is just wacky. It's, it's, it's just, it's absurd. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely made up the authority to, to do this is non-existent this is something where the government just said well this is what we're going to do and we don't really care that it's completely illegal
0: well i mean i don't know maybe the thinking at the time was well oh, we're only need to do this for a few months you know by the time you know nobody will come back and fight this and then <laughs> you know a year later here here we are
1: so that we'll very see. well might be true <laughs>
0: Okay. So, part, so to, part three: uh, Respondents <laughs> lack any statutory authority to declare a local emergency or enforce any proclamations based solely upon the COVID nineteen pandemic.
1: Yes, and this is where we really get into the meat of this uh, of this lawsuit. Um, this is a direct challenge to the statutory authority, not just of the political subdivisions, i.e., cities, towns, counties. Uh, but also the governor's authority. And so basically, you know, a ruling, you know, a ruling on this by the Supreme Court sets sets precedent, obviously. But this is a pretty major uh, precedent that I'm trying to set here. And, and essentially, um, you know, in this section, I'm arguing that um, the mayor and the city of Flagstaff um, are not granted... Even the authority to declare a local emergency under Arizona law for COVID-19. And so I preface this argument by explaining, you know, how courts are required to interpret various statutes. Um, so essentially, courts in Arizona favor a deferential approach to statutory interpretation, um, giving weight to legislative intent. And that prioritizes cohesion between the statutes. And so there's a bunch of cases I cite. um, You know, I cite a bunch of cases. So essentially, the presumption by courts in Arizona is one of legislative competency. And that is that the legislature was not ignorant of any other statutes or the effect of a new statute on the existing scheme when it enacts a law. And that's uh, State versus Garza Rodriguez. Arizona Supreme Court 1990, holding that we presume that the legislature knows the existing laws when it enacts or modifies the statute. So I go on and set forth how courts are required to undertake an analysis. It begins with the plain meaning of the statute. Um, you know, they're not permitted to explore alternate meanings when the plain language is clear. Um, and that was Arizona Supreme Court, Perini Land and Development Company versus Pima County in 1992. Which holds, we look first to the language of the provision, for if the constitutional language is clear, judicial construction is neither required nor proper. And that's saying that if the language is clear, the court has no authority to reinterpret the statute. They must go by the exact plain language of the statute if it's clear. And in this case, it uh, is very clear. So the requirements under Arizona law for a declaration of local emergency, and that's what Um, the city of Flagstaff, the mayor, uh, declared. So Arizona defines a local emergency as the existence of conditions of disaster or of extreme peril to the safety of persons or property within the territorial limits of a county, city, or town, which conditions are or are likely to be beyond control of the services, personnel, equipment, and facilities of such political subdivision. So we're going to compare that to Arizona's definition of a state of emergency. Um, This is how the the governor can declare a state of emergency, which sets forth that a um, state of emergency declared by the governor is defined as the duly proclaimed existence of conditions of disaster or of extreme peril to the safety of persons or property within the state caused by, and it sets forth some conditions, one of which is epidemic. So this is not found in ARS 26301, paragraph 10, which defines what a local emergency is. And this is set forth in ARS 26301, paragraph 15, for a state of emergency. So we have the presence of epidemic in the definition of a state of emergency. We do not have epidemic in the definition of a local emergency. It's not there. So if we look at statutory construction, what courts are required to do, the plain language of these statutes is clearly different. The intent is clearly different. There is no apparent legislative intent in these statutes to grant cities, counties, or towns the authority to declare a state of emergency based on an epidemic, whereas the governor does have such authority. And this is exactly what the statute set forth. Strict construction of the plain meaning clearly holds that that Cities, counties, and towns cannot declare a local emergency based on an epidemic or a pandemic in this case. I mean, a pandemic is just a more widespread epidemic.
0: Right, right. And so, so basically, basically the same thing.
1: Right. So, under Arizona law, a local emergency and a state of emergency are not the same uh, because the epidemic is explicitly provided for as a basis for a declaration by the governor of a state of emergency under ARS section 26301, paragraph 15. A local emergency as defined under ARS Section 26301, Paragraph 10, contains no such provision. So the constitutional language of these statutes is crystal clear. So there's no reason for the court to impose um, or to interpret a legislative intent that's not there. The legislature, this is the same statute. It's just different paragraphs of the same statute. There's, There's no reason to interpret that the legislature intended to grant cities and towns and counties the authority to declare a state of emergency based on an epidemic when in the same section, they explicitly grant that authority to the governor, but not these cities. It's it's crystal clear. And so if we look to, um, so if we, you know, if we say that that even if the city of Flagstaff or the mayor could somehow raise a plausible argument that the plain language of that statute is unclear, um, the, the, legislative, the legislative intent in defining state of emergency differently than local emergency can be elucidated by looking to the statute that grants cities emergency powers Pursuant to their declaration of local emergency, so we say the cities have now declared a local emergency. Let's look to what their powers are, and that's under ARS Section twenty six three eleven. So it says, in addition to the powers granted by any other provision of law or charter, whenever the mayor of an incorporated city or town, or the chairman of the board of supervisors for the unincorporated portion of the mm-hmm. town or the county, shall deem that this is important an emergency exists due to fire, conflagration, flood, earthquake, explosion, war, bombing, acts of the enemy or other natural or man-made calamity or disaster or by reason of threats or occurrence of riots, routs, affrays or other acts of civil disobedience which endanger life or property within the city. It goes on. it says if if an emergency is declared pursuant to this section the mayor shall, during such emergency, govern by proclamation, which is what the mask order is, and to have the authority to impose all necessary regulations to preserve the peace and order of the city, including but not limited to curfews or closes of business, closing streets, public buildings, calling on law enforcement, et cetera. So nowhere in there is public health mentioned. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in there do we talk about epidemics, because this was not a, a power was intended to be delegated to these political subdivisions, i.e. cities, counties, towns. Legislature never intended cities, counties, and towns to manage epidemic responses. That is clearly a function of the state. That is not a function of the city of Flagstaff. I mean, it might be part of the function of the Coconino County Public Health Department, but the mayor, no. The city, no. They have no lawful authority to enact any orders based on epidemics or public health. I mean, the, 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 the whole purpose of being able to declare a local emergency is essentially predicated on preserving the peace and order of the city, which is exactly what it says in ARS Section three eleven Paragraph B. It doesn't say anything about preventing the spread of disease, mitigating public health crises. Nothing.
0: Yeah. And I, I would assume that it's, I mean, it's something that when this was written and probably this is similar in almost all cities, it's you're thinking short term, you're thinking a very you know short term emergency, sure, a sure. fire, you know, maybe you do have some sort of like a riot or something like that, where you do have sure. to imp- impose a curfew, but to have, yeah, to have something long term lasting months and months, um, that's, yeah, that's, that's absurd.
1: That's just not a function of city government. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It's not something that they are qualified to manage. And that's not something that they've been granted any authority under Arizona law to manage. If the legislature wants to change this statute, they are free to do so. They are free to, someone is free to offer a bill, vote on it, and the governor is free to sign it into law. But as it stands right now, the city of Flagstaff and the mayor have zero authority to manage COVID 19 to include mask requirements. None. It doesn't exist. And so we say, you know, if the legislature had intended for cities and, you know, for cities, towns, and counties to be granted the power to declare a local emergency and to have the authority to impose all necessary regulation to protect public health, not to preserve peace and order, then these would have been clearly provided for under the definition of local emergency under Arizona law or by explicit mention, and there's none. Mm-hmm. Public health provisions are found nowhere in Arizona law related to city emergency management or functions. So, the correct presumption, based upon the plain language of these statutes, is that the legislature never intended for cities to manage pandemic responses. And it's obvious why they're not qualified to do so. Right. And so, now we get into the really the the meat of it and why Governor Ducey is named as a real party in interest. Um, at section four, um, respondents lack any lawful authority to create or enforce a face guarding requirement. And subsection A, you know, I'm saying the governor cannot assume a non-existent authority. So the governor's powers uh, during disease epidemics are set forth under ARS sections 26303 and 36787. So during during a state of emergency caused by epidemic or pandemic, the governor in in consultation with the director of Department of Health Services may order mandatory medical examinations, ration medicines, and vaccines, provide for transportation and medical support, personnel and ill and exposed persons, and provide for procurement of medicines and vaccines. So clearly, Arizona law is granting the governor powers to manage the pandemic. I mean that that's clear that there's no ambiguity here. However, no part of Arizona law authorizes the governor to issue a face covering requirement. Nothing in these statutes suggests that ordering a face covering requirement is a power granted to the governor, and nor does there exist any sort of generic catch all granting the po- the governor power to order any other measures such as a face covering requirement. the The powers very clear under Arizona law, Arizona 36, uh, ARS 36, 787 and 26, 303. So essentially what we have is that during a state of emergency, a governor is permitted to empower cities and towns to make, amend, and rescind orders, rules, and regulations necessary for, quote, emergency functions. And that's ARS Section 26307, Paragraph A. But there's still no clearly expressed authority uh, to the governor under the section to order a face government requirement because this is not a, quote, emergency function. Emergency function is defined under Arizona law, and this is ARS Section twenty six. 301 paragraph five emergency function includes warning and communication services relocation of persons from stricken areas radiological defense temporary restoration of utilities plant protection transportation welfare public works and engineering search or rescue health and medical services law enforcement firefighting mass care resource support urban search and rescue etc so emergency functions under arizona law under the definition strict construction Therefore, deal with what we would most reasonably characterize as critical infrastructure. In critical infrastructure, I cite uh, 42 U.S. Code, Section 5195C, uh, subsection E. The term critical infrastructure means systems and assets, whether physical or virtual, so vital to the United States the incapacity or destruction of such systems and assets would have a debilitating impact on security, National economic security, national public health or safety, or any combination of those. So essentially, emergency functions under Arizona law is analogous to critical infrastructure Mm -hmm. under federal law. And so, while we, one could reasonably argue, maybe not reasonably, but let's say, so face coverings might comprise a small portion of the, quote, health and medical services, quote, emergency functions provided for under ARS Section 26301, paragraph 5. However, we could say the exact same thing for anything even remotely related to health and medical services. Toothbrushes, dander shampoo, breast implants. If we're saying that face coverings are an emergency function, then that means toothbrushes are too, because neither of those are explicitly set forth under Arizona law. Mm-hmm. So if we're reasonably saying face coverings are an emergency function, then we're saying toothbrushes are. We're saying anything tangent generally related to to health and medical services is an emergency function. And that's nonsense. That's just – that's not what Arizona law says.
0: I got to be careful. They might try to take that next, the toothbrushes
1: <laughs> and the shampoo. And- that, they can try, and I will sue them. <laughs> I'll figure out something. And so uh, Executive Order, Governor's Executive Order uh, 2020-40 purports to delegate um, this imaginary authority to order uh, face covering requirements to municipalities, cities, counties, towns. So it states that uh, Executive Order 2020-40, a county, city, or town may, based on conditions in its jurisdiction, adopt policies regarding the wearing of face coverings in public, for the purpose of mitigating the spread of COVID-19. And that authority in that executive order to to do that is cited, um, Governor cites ARS Section 26307. So he cites that as as his authority to grant cities, counties, and towns the authority to order face covering requirements. However, the governor himself has no power to order a statewide face covering requirement. Nowhere under Arizona law sets forth that he's able to. It's not an emergency function. So he can't delegate that authority to cities, counties, and towns because his authority to do so doesn't even exist. So essentially, to, to, to the heart of the matter to conclude, the base covering requirements of the mayor and city of Flagstaff exists in the complete absence of any lawful authority granted by the legislature or constitution to enact such a mandate it is void it is not enforceable and it and it it it's made up it's imaginary
0: so so you filed this on January sixth
1: yes I so filed you have it any, by idea, um,
0: any idea what what to expect on a timeline um, how things <laughs> would move
1: um well, I'm going to I'm gonna be filing – so I'm, I'm right now attempting to get um, respondents to waive service. Essentially, that means that we don't do formal service with, with a sheriff. Um, I just send them a copy of the complaint and a waiver, and they sign the waiver and send it back to me, and I file it with the court. So I'm trying to get them to waive service. But I will also um, either late – well, it won't be this week, but next week I will be filing a motion to expedite proceedings – uh, with the Supreme Court. Um, I want to uh, cut down all of the normal timelines under Arizona Rules of Civil Procedure for filing responses, et cetera. What, what, um, what's their normal timeline? So, their normal timeline, if I had formal service effected on them under Rule 4, Arizona Rules of uh, Civil Procedure, would be they would have 21 days to file a response. Um, and if they uh, waive, Formal service of the petition, which I'm asking them to do, they will have 60 days to file response. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing, what I'm going to be doing is is filing a motion to expedite these proceedings. I'm going to ask for, um, you know, an expedited briefing schedule, assuming they accept jurisdiction. But I'm going to ask for, um, you know, expedited deadlines. I think, you know, seven days, ten days to file a response. It's just, this is pretty straightforward. Um, petition that are filed and um, I don't see any reason why they would need 21 to 60 days to file a response
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree I agree so for my listeners out there who you know heard this and uh they want to help you is there any way that they can help you <laughs> um
1: I <laughs> I mean if they're uh If they're members of the bar in Arizona, then (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) I will take any help that I can get. Um, You know, I never wanted to uh, proceed on this by myself. Um, This was, you know, always something that I I have um, sought legal help for, um, you know, without, uh, without success. But um, I did have a... Um, I did have a GoFundMe for my uh, old lawsuit that I was that I believe is still up. Um, because I mean this is this is not cheap to do this. Um, you know there's there's filing fees, there's duplication fees. Um, you know, this is not something that it's just like, well, I've got nothing better to do. Let me, you know, also your time. I mean your time is valuable. Tremendous yeah. amount of time. People I mean it's like, you know, I, I worked on this uh, almost nonstop until it was filed, um, you know, on, on, uh, I, I started working on the morning of January 1st. And aside from one day when I took a break from it, I just have worked continuously to, to try to get it filed as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it looks like I do. My, um, <laughs> my GoFundMe is still up for my um, original lawsuit against the governor. Um f- Let's see. I don't know. Am I allowed to share the the GoFundMe link or
0: Yeah, you can share the link and then I'll put it on the on the website too.
1: Okay. It's um it's uh GoFundMe dot com slash F, a COVID nineteen federal civil rights lawsuit, and there's dashes between all of that. Um or you could Google uh GoFundMe, Joseph McGee, it's the first one that pops mm-hmm. up. Um but um uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I would appreciate any support of any kind from any individual or group that would help move this lawsuit along. Legal assistance, um, you know, donations for for me to cover filing fees and uh, and stuff like that. That would be great. Honestly, that'd be great. Or, you know, if a, if a highly esteemed civil rights attorney wants to file a... <laughs> an an amicus brief on my behalf that would be awesome as well you know or really anybody you know anybody that wants to get involved and and could help move this forward and and help get a win i'll take it i mean i'm not you know this is not my ego on the line i'm just trying to you know i'm trying to fight a noble fight here
0: yeah and that's i mean we're at a position in this country that we honestly need people like yourself you've stepped up and uh you're taking this on. So you've stepped up. You're leading the way. So I would just ask my listeners out there to uh, whatever you can to help them out. Because I know a lot of you, a lot of my audience, um, they're, they're very staunchly against the lockdowns, against the mandatory mask wearing. So if you have an extra 5 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever you have, um, I will put it on the show notes page. And also, you can just go directly to GoFundMe and search Joe McGee. That's uh McGee M-C-G-H-E-E. And uh yeah, check it out. So anything else you you want to plug or, or talk about, Joe, before I let you go?
1: Not that not that I can think of, not not without uh exposing too much of, <laughs> of who I am. Um but I I you know I would just really encourage everyone to don't be afraid to research yourself don't be afraid to look stuff up don't be afraid to try to learn the law I mean it's really not that complicated um you know study rules of procedure don't be afraid to bring a lawsuit you know by yourself everybody who is you know in in support of freedom and liberty everybody's got to do something and if you know if that's learning law and filing a lawsuit and being you know a thorn in the side of authoritarianism then do it. I mean, you might win, you might lose, but you know, it's, it's, it's doing something. It handicaps them in some way. You know, if, if you believe in this, then you got to fight for it because mm-hmm. now is the time it's, you know, six months, a year, two years, five years. We don't know how long this is going to go on and we don't know what's going to happen. You got to fight right now.
0: Yeah. And th- that's a great point. You might, uh, sure. You might lose or you might, uh, mess up filing your first lawsuit but even if you do lose you've learned something i mean you've taken steps forward so exactly i love that all right well joseph
1: mcgee thanks for coming on the show thank you great to great to finally tell this story i mean this has been a lot of work (laughs) i i
0: I can tell (laughs) hope you all enjoyed that interview on finding freedom another awesome guest And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, If you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, the three shows that we have, uh, Monday's show with uh, Mark Claire our flagship program, our longest running program, and uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, we're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us... We would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to, you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out. Patreon.com slash lines of liberty. And If you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt and we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store and if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's of liberty burning.